Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer, media strategist, and health coach helping you live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello there, Paula here with another episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. And I'm so looking forward to sharing with you this conversation with Deva Madhu Keefe. Deva Madhu is a Vedic astrologer, sacred artist, and a spiritual practitioner in the tradition of Trukka Shaivism. When he's not contemplating the mysteries of the universe, he can be found hiking in nature, weightlifting in his home gym, or watching trashy queer media. For more information about Deva Madhu and his work, visit sahayasacredarts.com or his Instagram at sahayasacredarts. And sahaya is S-A-H-A-Y-A. All this will be in the show notes as well. I so enjoyed this conversation because Deva Madhu and I both share a deep love of Vedic astrology. We also have the same teacher, which we talk about in the episode, Stephen Heiberger, who is also in the show notes. And... Deva Madhu is so gracious and open about his experience coming to the spiritual path, his relationship to his teacher and the teachings, and also about being a trans man and what that means for him as a Jyotishi. It's a really beautiful conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks to all of those folks out there who are Patreons. We couldn't do it without your support. And if you are interested in supporting the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash weaveyourbliss. There's a lot of goodies there, including a weekly astrology update from me and a monthly new moon circle for those in a higher tier. So I hope you'll join us and thank you for your support. Now we'll jump into the interview. Hello, I'm excited to be here with David Madhu Keefe today. How are you doing? Great. So excited that you invited me. Thank you so much. So I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about how you discovered Vedic astrology. We're both Vedic astrologers. And so let's let's start with our shared passion. Okay, I am a member of a sort of hybrid Hindu slash Buddhist spiritual community called Jaya Kula. I've been studying with my teacher Shambhavi Saraswati for like eight years now. I heard about her through a mutual friend and... (laughs) he kind of moved all around the country and then started, he lived, you know, near her for a while and started studying with her closely. And the more I heard about her, the more I wanted to meet her and study with her. And I took her foundations course, which sort of intros the view of the tradition and gives you a basic practice. And I just knew I was like, this person, this teacher is, you know, legit. She's, she's very clear, very sharp, very wise and very kind and funny. And just like, had so many qualities that I had been wanting to find in a teacher for years. And so I just, right after that class, I had kind of been ready to move with my ex-wife. And we were just like, let's move to Maine when this community moved to Maine a few you know months after that, that class. So I started studying with her, you know, I think it was like late 2012 or 20, early 2013 or something like that. And a couple of years into hanging out with the community and, you know, studying and living a normal life, <laughs> she decided to do this intro to Vedic astrology course. And I just was obsessed with it. Like the minute <laughs> that I started, I was like, I have to know this. Like there's something about it, like all the planets, all of their qualities. Like I just, you know, you get this chart and it's just 
the teacher Steven says, <laughs> who I will talk about later, you know, he, it's like black and white squiggles on a page. And somehow people are able to read this information and tell you like relationships you got into at this time or, you know, what your family was like growing up. And it's just, it was amazing to start learning about this stuff. So I think the course was like over maybe six months or something like once a month or twice a month. And and I just, I couldn't stop studying. People started dropping off <laughs> from the course because it was like so much detail, so much going on. And when I finished the course, Shambhavi suggested that I started, that I find somebody who kind of has devoted their whole life to this sort of work. She does Jyotish to help her students, but she's not like a professional Jyotishi, you know, Vedic astrologer out in the world. Um, most of the time. So, and then she, we both found Stephen online and I was just so impressed by how devotional and heart centered his work seemed. He just like seemed, I just looked at his picture. He seemed like such a sweet person and, you know, his page about his teachers was so inspiring and sweet. I was just like, I think this is the person. And when I met him, I, it just felt, you know, the same sort of feeling of like it clicked <laughs> and, you know, we had a really nice rapport together. He did a reading for me shortly after that blew my mind. And I was like, I, I told him, I just, I don't care if I become a professional astrologer. I don't care what I personally get out of this. I just like need to know this. And I will, I felt like I would spend the rest of my life studying this stuff. And I still feel that way today. Like, I don't think I've stopped thinking about Jyotish since <laughs> day one. It's so funny because <laughs> I sense that about you because I'm the same, mm -hmm. you know, um, Stephen mm -hmm. is also my teacher just for the people listening. And that's how David Madhu and I met. But I had the same experience where I had a reading and I was like, okay, everything's changed. This is all I want to know about, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> It's so amazing how things, how divine forces kind of intervene once you have that sincere desire. It's like something cracks open and you just move forward with the faith that you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. That's how it feels to me anyway. So can you tell me like how it has helped you personally, just knowing about your own chart so that yeah. people can hear more about that perspective from you? Yeah. It's really funny, like my chart, I tell people all the time, I don't always, you know, get into the details of my chart with people or, you know, I tutor some of Stephen's students and, you know, just, I, I don't think I mentioned his last names. Uh, his name is Stephen Heiberger of Vedic Traditions, um, just to be clear. You get this chart, you start to learn little bits about things and then you learn, oh no, this planet is debilitated. And then you learn this, you know, there's like, you start to learn some of the more difficult stuff. And if you don't have the unbelievable, shockingly spectacular chart of like a saint, like an actual saint, you know, you start to think, oh, no, what's the most golden chart of all time or whatever. Yeah, you start to think like, oh, no, what's wrong with me? You don't realize you just have like a normal human being's chart and it's fine. And so, you know, I started to discover these things about my chart that looked difficult on the surface. I got down about them. I would ask a lot of questions about certain things. And I feel like the more that I learn about my own chart that it's, you know, it's a map of your karmic patterns. And my teacher Shambhavi is always saying, you know, these things are not necessarily set in stone. This is sort of like the unfolding of your karma throughout your life. And this is the snapshot of your, you know, where the planets were at the time of your birth. So things have likely changed since you were a fetus. <laughs> and there's a lot to like discover about your chart. So I just feel like all of the more quote unquote negative things have led me to understand things about myself that I used to grapple with. Like I have 
I've had a lifelong struggle with anxiety and depression. And like we talked about before this, you know, I'm a, a transgender man. I'm a queer person. I grew up feeling like a weirdo, you know, since like three years old or something like, I don't really know if I belong here. And I feel like I can see that in my chart. My family life growing up was pretty like overheated and there was a lot of fighting and, you know, a lot of struggly stuff going on. When I see these things in my chart now, now that I've like worked with a lot of them over the years, I've been supported in all these different ways to understand patterns that I have and how I've absorbed things from certain people or carried them forth, even though I don't want to. Now that I've gone through these like really rough times and struggled and struggled and struggled, that when I see those similar patterns in someone else's chart, I feel like I have actual empathy for them. Like sympathy is one thing like, oh, that sounds hard for you. But like, and I can kind of think maybe that would be difficult, you know, but like when you've lived through stuff and you felt like a weirdo, you actually, (laughs) you can like get in there with people and you can, part of the work that I really want to do is uplifting people, you know, helping them to feel hosted and cared for and like they're seen. I've had so many wonderful people in my life do that for me that all I want to do is be that kind of person for somebody else and help someone else to feel like they're not especially, you know, they're not the big weirdo that no one can ever possibly be friends with or no one ever could possibly understand. Because it's the more that I, I, you know, spend time with my community and meet people and learn more and more about people the more I realize everybody at like every age seems to have something about them or that sort of underlying feeling of I don't belong here. And maybe it's like more of a spiritual person thing or a spiritual community kind of thing. But I feel like, you know, the more that I meet people in my community that I, you know, I I don't, I meet them through this. So it's not like I would have always picked them to be my BFF, but I meet somebody out in the world and I can kind of recognize, Oh, this person's a little anxious. Oh, they're, they feel like they have to put on a face to be in this conversation. I want to become more relaxed and vulnerable so that I can meet people wherever they're at and still kind of have a friendly, kind feeling for them, whether they're, you know, someone who I have a hard time relating to or not. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. There's so much that I can talk about from that. You know, like I was just thinking about how sometimes when you see a person has some really hard stuff in their chart, it's actually been a gift because they work on it. You know, like when you see someone with just some kind of averagely difficult karmas, I mean, we all have difficult karmas, we all have good karmas, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. We're here to experience both. But sometimes, you know, people don't have things that really knock them around and force them to deal with certain things. And then you see other people that have had something really hard. Like I always talk about my clients who are above 60. Sometimes I'll be like, Oh, was this hard for you? And they'll be like, Oh, yeah, it was real hard. I worked on that my whole life. And now I pretty I feel at peace with it. Those are like the big knots that we're invited to untie. I was also thinking while you're talking, like you have a very unique perspective as a transgendered man. Like, how does that play into you being a Jyotishi? And, you know, you spoke to it a little bit, but is there something more specific about gender there? Like helping other people who have similar experiences or something more specific? Like we were talking before about gender and the planets. So I was wondering if you have thoughts you want to share about that. Yeah. The the amazing thing about it is, you know, I used to think this was like, you know, not like a curse or something, but that it was like a really hard life to be born into. You know, I was really confused about my gender stuff until I was in my early 20s. And, you know, your T 
teen years are like your formative years. And I just remember kind of feeling at sea about who I was and kind of scrambling for an identity for many years. And when I finally met somebody that kind of looked similar to me, who was a trans man, I was like, oh, <laughs> like I had known a bunch of queer people in in the Chicago, like punk scene for years. And, you know, I like was around all these people who were trans at a time that it wasn't really socially you know, normalized at all to be trans. And something about finally meeting someone that looked like me, it was like, okay, I need, maybe I need to explore this more seriously. I just, over the years of like, you know, taking hormones and having surgery and things that, you know, not all trans people have or experience or want to experience, but, you know, I did want those things. I did, it, I do resonate with being male and, and sort of like loosely genderqueer in some ways. But I just feel like growing up, uh, you know, assigned female at birth, you get to experience what it's like to be more on the margins of society. You're not centered in the way that men are in the entire world, you know, except for like one or two tiny tribal societies have heard about tucked away somewhere. Most modern societies are patriarchal and people are dealing with that stuff in a huge way socially right now. And I just feel like it really opened my eyes to male privilege in huge ways when the Me Too movement came out, I was just thinking about this the other day. You know, I've, I've dealt with like catcalling and gross experiences with men, even though I'm like, I mostly date women. When people see you as female, you are treated as female. And especially when you're seen as a female that doesn't seem to fit in society the way that women are expected to look or act or whatever, you get so much pushback. And my teacher, Shambhavi, is very much, she talks about this all the time because she's very in her own seat as a human being and as a woman, and she's come up against this stuff her whole life. So I feel like I, since I started taking hormones, I also you know, took a break for five years for a lot of reasons that I probably, you know, won't go into now. But I feel like I've had both experiences in a lot of ways. I've been now granted all this weird privilege that I don't want, but that I have to deal with. Like, I can't get away from that. I can't, again, I can actually empathize with women's struggles. I can, I feel like I can pick up on a lot of things that women are experiencing or they might be struggling with that at the surface of their awareness or might be, you know, at more at the root of some of the, their karmic stuckness in certain areas that I feel like I could host in a real way through lived experience, which I feel like that's pretty impossible. <laughs> you know, if you've grown up with a lot of privilege and I acknowledge I have plenty of privilege in other areas, but in this area, it's like I grew up without that and I can see it more clearly. So one of the things I was saying, I think to you before, is that I also feel that there is there is still like such a binary in Vedic astrology of the male and female expressions of planets and things like this. And I am by no means an expert. So this is just my experience personally and something that I've been sort of like playing with in my mind and trying to be kind of open to like how I'm responding to this stuff. And I'm sure that, you know, Stephen might say a lot of things about this, but, you know, some of the planets like Mercury and Saturn are, you know, I believe the word is Napumsika. It's like a gender neutral neuter. You know, he even said, I think, uh, non-binary once <laughs> in class. And, you know, some of these planets, it's like, and I am ruled by Mercury. So I have a very mercurial personality. I, absorb things quickly. I'm If I'm around certain groups of people or accents or something, I'll just pick up the accent and accidentally start using it or something. You know, like I love words and communication, even though I feel like an awkward communicator a lot of the time. Like I still, 
I have this like yearning to express whatever that is, that mercurial quality through communication. I'm never going to be out of the experience I had growing up. Even if I didn't feel female when I was born, it's like you have to live this life and experience that. So I, I, it's, it's not like, oh, I transitioned. So I'm a man now and everything is totally different. And I can just like burn off that whole life experience as if I would want to. So I do have to live, you know, in a way that people will say it's like a combination of male and female or it's, you know, both or, you know, something else. But I do feel like there is a sort of third thing quality to these planets, to the queer experience, to the non-binary experience or genderqueer people or trans people. Some people, obviously, some people are very binary and they're very into that. My teacher, not to go into this like super deep because I, again, I'm not an expert in Kashmir Shaivism either or Trika Shaivism. But in that tradition, there's a lot of talk about sort of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, like the things that give rise to the experience of maleness and femaleness. It's like the maha, you know, the more universal expressions of masculine and feminine that are beyond our very narrow, very culturally conditioned ideas of what men and women are supposed to be. And then there's their unison, that they're always together. They're always co-mingled and co-expressing. And reality is made of these things coming together, these great divine energies. And I, I've just been thinking, I believe the word trika even is referring to the to Shiva and Shakti and their unison. Or, you know, some people will say union. My teacher often says unison. And I feel like there is something inherent in the queer experience and the non-binary experience or trans experience or the gender non-conforming experience, I'll say, that it has that unison quality where it may be, you know, maybe it's not so much male and female come together, but there's something that's like arising to me that feels so magical in those expressions. They're very creative. You know, the symbol for even like the LGBT symbol has been a rainbow. It's not just like black or white. It's like a bajillion colors exploding out of reality. And there's something, you know, I've been like obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race for this whole pandemic. <laughs> and like, there's something about drag queens that just like, you know, they're so expressive and glittering and just all these things, all these areas that there is something that people are trying to share that has been squashed down, belittled, abused, talked about as if it's just kind of an in-between of a black or white. Not that, you know, maleness and femaleness are unbelievably beautiful. And I, I think there's so much to learn about all that's there, good and bad, in the way that people express maleness or femaleness. But I, in myself, I have struggled my whole life feeling like I don't belong here. And it's like, or something about this is feared and not valued. And so I have feared and not valued my own self. And so the more that I learn about this, you know, concept of like dual ascendance and, you know, neutral planets or non-binary planets, I'm like, maybe I'm just a third thing. And that third thing is sacred and beautiful. And like, I should go for it because it's not going to, it hasn't gone away in the 34 years I've been alive. It's not very, very clearly not going away whether I hate myself, you know, I might as well love myself and celebrate that in me and celebrate it in the people, you know, that I meet that are very similar. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's just such a 
refreshing perspective. And it's one that we need to hear more of, I think, because there are people who do suffer because of the way that our society has marginalized them. And there's power in the margins. You know, there's power and there's an important voice that needs to be heard. So I really appreciate you sharing all of that. I want to ask you about purpose because that's the topic of this podcast. Purpose is constantly unfolding. The word, you know, for it is Dharma. But I want to hear what you think, what that means to you living in your purpose. Yeah, this is something that because, you know, like I said, I've felt kind of disempowered my whole life. It's funny, like I have this weird duality in my personality also where I feel kind of like this little anxious shrimp inside. And then I'm just like also refusing to do anything other than what I want in some ways, <laughs> even when I'm like stuck, you know, like when I was stuck in jobs that I didn't like, I'm like, well, I'm just going to kind of begrudgingly do this work. Like I, I've always wanted to find something that feels like a real challenge, really exciting what I was born to do. And I do feel like, you know, my, my teacher has pointed this out a lot that in America, we have a very competitive society. We're kind of like always at war. We're going to battle with each other. There's this obsession with fame and being the best at something. And it it can totally suck the life out of people's genuine expression or, or even the things that they actually enjoy. You know, it's like, we're not all supposed to be multi-billionaire Instagram influ influencers. Like some of us just want to, you know bag groceries and be really kind to people. And there's nothing that's like debased about that just because you're not making millions of dollars. You know, growing up feeling disempowered, I had a lot of self-hatred for so many years and I still struggle with self-doubt and self-criticism and all of that kind of stuff. But part of the way that I would beat myself up was thinking that I needed to find this like one perfect job for me and that if I wasn't doing it, something wrong was happening. And I feel like a lot of people have this idea that there is something out there that they're meant to do. And my teacher's perspective, you know, to paraphrase her, I'm not, I'm not trying to put words into her mouth, but my understanding of what she said is that, that we're just here to express what we, whatever we feel called to express. And like people have wonderful skills, you know, they're born with gifts, you know, there's things we learn and develop in this life. There isn't like the pressure of having to measure up to some like, like something that's been waiting for us this whole time. And if we don't get there, we failed at life or whatever. It's like where life is creative and expressive. And I think this comes up even with spirituality, like the idea that we're all supposed to be like floating around the room, you know, that we're all going to be enlightened. And if we're not enlightened, we're failing. And, you know, my teacher says all the time that she's not enlightened. And she doesn't even know what that would be like. She's her root teacher is Anandamayama, this, you know, amazing saint from Bengal and in India. And, you know, she says that Ma, you know, was like, she seems to be, you know, one of the most so-called enlightened people or, you know, like the most aware and realized person that my teacher. I have her chart if you want to see it. Oh, yeah, I have it, too. Okay. It's unbelievable. But it's like, you know what I mean? We don't, as someone that isn't enlightened, I have no idea what it's like to be enlightened. I'm trying to open my heart to people to really be like, to be actually kind, to express these things that I have in me that have been kind of squoonched down by all these ideas of how I am supposed to be in this world. When I found Jyotish, it absolutely felt like a wonderful sort of like, it met me in so many different places and I felt such a desire to engage with it that I was like, you know, I, I absolutely hope that I could become skilled enough at this 
to use the other qualities that I have that I that feel like they fall into this sort of like consultancy advising realm. But it wasn't it was like how you know, the, the concept of apprenticing yourself to something is something that Shambhavi talks about all the time, too, that we're not trying to be experts, we're not trying to be the best at something. But if you have the attitude of a lifelong apprenticeship, you're just committed to something, you're just enjoying something, you're just experiencing an open and engaging in this live way that isn't like marching, like trudging up a hill to becoming the expert so that you can like look down on your subjects and judge them all. It's like you're just in love with something and you're you're appreciating it and excited about it. And it's not there isn't that sense of like I'm on a ladder or I'm climbing a mountain and there isn't that feeling of drudgery when I'm just like Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a lifelong student of this and I feel like Stephen speaks to that as well like that Jyotish is a living wisdom tradition and that it will teach you like there is something within the fabric of reality that is this primordial teacher that is trying to help us and if we have that idea that I'm the expert or I'm the best we're not open to that and like I think especially like I don't know what you think about this but meeting Stephen and you know, also Shambhavi, but like it's related to Jyotish specifically, like meeting Stephen, seeing what he can do with a planet in one house in a chart. <laughs> I am, my mind has been continuously blown by his capacity. And I'm like, maybe I don't have to get there right now. Maybe it will take me an entire lifetime to even get close to the, where he was at when he met his teacher, you know, like I'm good. I, I just want to learn from this person. I'm I'm not trying to like, race him to some finish line that doesn't exist. And on that note, like, I just love how Steven is so unassuming. And you you don't know what power is contained within. And similarly, when we talked last time, we talked about our, our both of our love for Ramdas and how radical he was in his time to really be vulnerable and, and talk about his human foibles in a way that invited people in because they could feel like he wasn't a guru. So I don't know if you want to talk about that, because I think that was your entree into Indian things, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, when I was born, you know, my my mom was raised Catholic. My, both of my parents, I believe, are raised Roman Catholic. And I never really connected with Catholicism. I have not horribly traumatic experiences, but just it never felt it felt, you know, very, you know, fire and brimstone and much more about heaven and hell than like the types of traditions that I've been really into later in life. So I was kind of soured on religion for most of my life. And then I wasn't an atheist because I couldn't deal with the idea that people who, again, aren't plugged into the fabric of reality could tell me how all of it is that for sure, there's no God or there's no divine anything going on here. It's just matter and nothing. So I finally found this book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which I think a lot of people have heard of. And Something about that book, the way it kind of flip-flops between this exciting adventure and this philosophy. And it really spoke to me because I got into, like I said, I got into the Chicago punk scene for a while. And, you know, I met all these people that were making all these bikes. And I got into making freak bikes, like tall bikes with like two frames or three frames on top of each other and choppers and stuff. And so I was really into mechanics and like the, you know, even with astrology, it's like you're opening up the hood of someone's karmic patterns and you can like see what's going on with yeah. them. Yeah. You know, and so it's like getting into the fabric of, of life, even through that kind of philosophy. It was like, ooh, what is this guy saying? And there was something in it that was like, 
it kind of broke my brain, like the, the sort of core philosophy as I read through the book. And I was like, I do think there's more going on here. Like there's, he's speaking to some sort of essence of reality that is there that sounds sort of divine, but it's coming from like a very mental orientation, like a very kind of almost, you know, it's like a Zen, more of a Zen perspective. So then I found Be Here Now by Ramdas really shortly after, like a friend was coming into town when I was living in the Midwest and she was only there for a couple days and she like had the book with her. And it was like this weird thing that I could like borrow it for a weekend. And I like burned through it as quickly as I could. Cause I was just like the intro reading about Ramdas's story and how he was again, also such a, like a very mental person. He wasn't very religious. He was kind of like, you know, he was a Harvard professor and he got into LSD and, you know, was like at the forefront of all of this stuff in like the sixties. Something about reading his story of meeting his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, because I knew that this person was so in his head when he told this story about, you know, his mother dying of like a spleen. You know, I think she had like cancer of the spleen or something like that, something to do with her spleen and meeting this man in India who he had never met before, this unassuming guru just like hanging out in a blanket and he's like, your mother died of a spleen condition. You know, it just like blew his heart open somehow. Like something about the transmission of being with his teacher and that experience for him, like ripped his heart open and helped him to understand that there was really something more going on here than just what's found in the mind and in the intellect. This was my a total intro. Like I had, I had known about Shambhavi through my friend, but I like wasn't really, or maybe that came a little later, but either way, it was like around the same time. But this was like the first understanding that I had that there was something more going on here. And so I really I lived in Wisconsin for a few years with my, you know, when my ex was going to college and I just like wandered around this tiny town called River Falls. <laughs> it's like a, you know, a one college little town with like a little strip and there's like more bars than other businesses on the main drag. And it's just like the greatest, cutest little place that I, I love it and miss that place. But I would just like wander all over the place in the woods, you know, in the, the forest preserves, just listening to Ramdas lectures that I had like ripped off of, you know, like Napster or Livewire or LimeWire or whatever that thing is. And I just was like, this guy is speaking to something real. And like you said, you know, he is real about himself. He was totally on his high horse earlier on, but he would still, even in the 60s, he would joke about his giant ego. And I think that something about him really set me up for wanting to find somebody that had that kind of like realness in their relationship with life, in their relationship with wisdom. Like they weren't, they weren't trying to pretend to be the expert all the time. They were just trying to be like, here's who I am. Here's what I know. Here's what I can kind of, I can translate for you or I can open up these concepts. But it's, it's much more about like what we're actually going to do with them. What type of person are you going to be? And like, you know, my, my teacher is so, into sadhana, into daily spiritual practice that once I got into that, even though I don't really love practicing, like I'll be really honest, it's not something that I yearn to do every day. It, I don't have like amazing experiences on the cushion either. It's just sort of like plodding along doing the thing. And I can tell you that when I met her, I basically stared at the floor for most of the foundations retreat. It was like a four day thing. I was so anxious and the idea that I could have that I could ever even be doing this, doing a podcast <laughs> with you, the level of communication anxiety I used to have was unbelievable. So 
I know this stuff works because it has slowly, 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 slowly transformed my experience. And I tried so many other things like therapy, you know, nothing against any of these things, but like I tried focusing on my health, focusing on my mental health, focusing on my physical body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But nothing has transformed my, my lived experience every day, like spiritual practice and engaging in this community and learning from these types of teachers. And, you know, even Kirtan, I think that Ramdas also got me into Krishna Das and Kirtan and, I also sing Kirtan with my community and there's something so unbelievably, you know, just like heart opening and sweet about singing with people that I'd also love to find a way to do that more with people because it's just that in and of itself has felt like a really transformative experience. Like I said, going from being somebody who can't even like look people in the eye to singing in public with total strangers. Like I know there's some real here. Yes. No, (laughs) and I feel you. you because I was a highly anxious person too that didn't even know I was anxious until I went to therapy and they were like, Oh, you have anxiety. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So I totally understand. I mean, from doing sadhana myself, doing morning yoga and meditation and singing, all these things are very helpful for calming the nervous system. And I, I find if, you know, sometimes I don't want to do my practice, but I realize that it's going to help me. You know, and if I don't do it, that's when I actually notice it's if I do it, I feel good, just kind of feel good. But but if I don't do it, I feel bad. And I notice that. So. Did you know that this podcast has been made possible by listener support? If you like what you're hearing and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash weave your bliss. There are lots of great gifts, including a weekly astrology update from me and a monthly live new moon circle. Thanks for your support. I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. Are you Uh down? Yeah, of course. (laughs) They're simple. You can answer with as much detail or not as you want. Um, So the first question is, what is one piece of advice that has really helped you in your life? (laughs) I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is something along the lines of what I was just saying, but like that I I can't remember the quote offhand, but like that my teacher has underlined that everything that we are doing is about opening our heart. Like it doesn't matter. Like the rest of it, I don't know all the things I couldn't list everything I thought I would be getting out of spiritual practice or out of astrology or all of this stuff. But like, I just don't care about a lot of things anymore. And I, I see, and I can feel in my body that this person has an unbelievably open heart. Like some, I've, I haven't met many people that have had any kind of, you know, that you can feel it inside your bones that this person has your best interest in mind. I honestly don't care if I get anything else out of this practice other than that, that that's my job here. I just, I want to be able to host people in the way that she hosts people. I want to be able to you know, and Stephen too, I just see that over and over in his classes and his readings, the way that he so kindly and respectfully hosts people and learn. He has like this language for each planet, like whatever somebody's really ruled by, he knows the way to talk to them or like a certain, whatever, you know, if your ascendant is in a certain sign or you have a certain nakshatra, you know, like in your ascendant, he knows how to speak to these qualities of people and engage with them as they are and help them get where they're going to go. And it's like, my job is not to tell people how to be, it's to post them 
with the life that they want to live. And like I said, I had so many ideas about what a good life looked like before I met Shambhavi. And now it's just like, if I can be a tiny percentage of the way that she is with people, I feel like my life will be well lived. Oh, so I'm looking beautiful. emotional. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. Thank you. My next question is when you feel anxious, confused, or frustrated, what is the first thing that you do to ground yourself? <sighs> ground myself, you say. <laughs> yeah, or, that, or soothe yourself, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's like I've learned so many practices and sometimes, you know, I get totally in like a whirlwind. I know that working with the breath can be helpful. Like Shambhavi teaches the certain way of working with the breath. It's really, really simple. And it's just like a kind of way to get kind of back into your body, back into your groundedness a little bit that that's my there's a, a technique that i think she has online it's the jayakula.org is the website if anyone's interested in checking it out and you know she posts uh there's like a podcast and stuff and she posts certain practices that can be really like grounding and heart opening and sweet and and helpful we'll put it in the show notes okay cool yeah and so it's something about the breath like i feel more connection with that and like when I can get in touch with it inside my body and like, uh, you know, like the energy of the breath and like moving it through my channels and like uh, in a super smooth way. Cause often when I, I get, I'm, I'm very fiery. I get very easily annoyed at the dumbest things. So sometimes I just like, I have to shake it out. You know, I do a lot of like exercise and stuff to get my energy flowing and moving and not just like bound up in my head. Because sometimes it just feels like my head is just like, burp, 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 you know, like a little windstorm and I need to like move and transform that windstorm into something, something functional. Awesome. Well, those are two helpful mm-hmm. points as breath and mm-hmm. movement, right? It's mm-hmm. simple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like smooth. Yeah. Like smooth, controlled movement and breath, you know, because sometimes I like, it's like it gets chaotic and <laughs> like people... I've seen people and I've been like taught techniques that are like very intense. It's like you have this anxiety and then there's this like extra fiery, intense breath work that people are doing. And it's like, oh my God, when I do that stuff, I get more overheated, more anxious rather than like sort of like soothing myself, like thinking of coolness and like the moon and (laughs) Saumya qualities. On that note, what is your favorite hot beverage? Definitely addicted to coffee. (laughs) And I know that coffee is not very like yoga friendly. I drink coffee. Um, (laughs) Guilty. I think a lot of people drink coffee. Yeah, I love, love, love coffee and black tea. And I should probably not drink as much as I do with both of those things. But, you know, I've also I've struggled with chronic illness for many years. I had Lyme disease that I think I'm now healed from, but I still have like after effects of a lot of things. And So I'm working with my friend who's a naturopath and trying different stuff. I had like mold exposure symptoms for a long time. So, you know, I think it's hard when you have a lot of like physical limitations or health issues to always have enough energy to make it through the day. And so exercising, I got into right before the pandemic hit and that has helped kind of like give me more energy and moderate my energy in really beneficial ways. But, you know, still need some coffee every once in a while. On that same kind of trail, what is your last meal on earth? Um, oh my God. I, okay. So like the thing that comes to mind right now is scalloped potatoes. <laughs> I am like such a, an Irish person. Like I love potatoes. I know potatoes would be included. I was vegan and vegetarian for many years and I'm not now for health reasons. And so I feel like some sort of like steak and potato is something might, you know, just something really simple. 
and luxurious. Like I love, I love, love, love food. So, uh, you know, having that sort of like decadence feeling would be important, but if not that some unbelievable platter of fancy sushi, uh, you know, I, I once went out to on a date like years ago and got like a boat of sushi of like all these different varieties. And there's something about like the rainbow of it. That's really, that feels very fancy. So do you have a morning routine? And if so, what part of it is non-negotiable? Well, I, so I wake up, uh, Shambhavi teaches Dinacharya methods from, you know, Ayurveda, like kind of like how to roll into your day in a way that's supportive of spiritual practice. And so I don't follow every single step of that, but I do, you know, I wake up, I try to like connect with the vibe of the day in the specific way. And, you know, I get like, I brush my teeth and make tea and things like that. And I do always do yoga, like a kind of smooth, smoothing yoga in the morning. And then I do my practice, you know, sometimes like after that, like I, I absolutely have, I mean, I like made a vow to do practice every day, but I also feel, I know how much it helps me. So I, 100% all of that is just a part of every day. Even when I'm like flying on a plane, you know, back before the pandemic, obviously, but like if I'm flying on a plane at three in the morning, cause that's the only flight that exists, you know, I'm still finding ways to get my practice in every day. I'm totally that weirdo that did the yoga at the airport. <laughs> yeah. Or like doing like, I've like sneakily done mantra, you know, in the chairs, like under my coat and stuff. <laughs> I think as long as it's not ostentatious, it's like, you know, especially now that everybody knows yoga, it's, I've seen so many people do that. Yeah, that and then, you know, exercise every day. I, I go for a walk every day and I lift weights every day and I do it in a way that doesn't like, you know, is an overkill for my body, but getting into that routine, like, because I have such a sort of addictive personality, like I said, I got obsessed with Jochish and I continue to be obsessed with it. I feel like there's something that really speaks to me about doing practice every day that I just sort of like, once you get into the groove of something, there is like lit real energy that you are putting into these activities that you can develop momentum. Like you, we develop momentum with any pattern. And so I noticed that if I do something like three days a week, it's a lot easier to be like, eh, I'll just sort of not do that today. I'll do it tomorrow. Cause I still have three days left in the week or something. But if I do something every day, it just continues and continues and continues. And you know, I'd rather have positive obsessions than some of the other obsessions I've had in my life. So what's something that people might not know about you? Um, I really love country music. Cool. <laughs> I grew my up in mom, Oklahoma, so... I nice. Guess. Yeah, the my mom really loved country music when I was a kid. Like, you know, she's from Illinois and like doesn't... I don't know why she got so into it, but maybe it was just the time. And I love like every type of music. Like I love, you know, hardcore rap and and like cheesy 90s country and you know like classical music and opera and just you know like i said like spiritual music and from a lot of different countries and i am so 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 in love with music like i'm not a professional musician at all but i am so moved and enlivened by music like i think my life would be totally different if i didn't have music every day you know i've got like an infinity of of uh, playlists on spotify and stuff like that so but there's something about like, what was that song that John Deere Green <laughs> song <laughs> about the guy that like paints a proposal to his girlfriend in John Deere Green paint on like the water tower in town? Like it's just something about country music that I don't listen to it every day, but I, I feel the need for it at times. 
So what are you reading right now? One of the people that I got really into, I started listening to all these podcasts over the pandemic. And one of the podcasts I'm obsessed with is uh, the Jocko podcast. And it's by this guy named Jocko Willink, who is a retired Navy SEAL. There's something about like the way that he talks, like, you know, he's in the military. And I used to think this very black and white way that people in the military were like meatheads or something. Like I think, you know, I grew up kind of like, I was very anti-authoritarian for most of my childhood and my young adulthood. So I just like broad brush, you know, wrote these people off. And he, this guy is so intelligent, so funny, so obviously kind under the rough exterior. Like he has this really deep voice and he's very intimidating. But um, listening to his podcast and reading his books have been really inspiring for me in getting into a weightlifting routine, taking better care of my health. He's, he's so routine oriented. He's like, routine obsessed. And he he wrote this book called Extreme Ownership that I'm reading right now about some of the principles that have really served him well. And so I feel like it's it's been really cool because I have this sort of scattershot interest in like so many different types of living and life that I feel like has really served me well in Jotish. Like you have to understand people. You can't have like your tiny narrow window of what you think people are supposed to be like or care about or whatever. And I think part of like finding the value in myself and my own expression is understanding the value in everybody's expression and in who they are. And so learning about people that feel very opposite to me in some ways, I'm like, oh, look at all the commonality, look at all the values that we have and share. Because I grew up being assigned female at birth, it, I, I'm maybe not because, but in, in my life, I've always been much more drawn to women. I've had harder times connecting with men it feels like he's this like really amazing male role model for like how to take responsibility for your own stuff. You know, he doesn't talk about it in this way because he's, he's not very spiritual as far as I can tell, but you know, it's all about patterns and like routine and all of that stuff that, you know, it's like, how can you use these principles to benefit yourself and other people and, and lead your own life in a much more cohesive and uplifting way. And I just, I love him. <laughs> so I'm reading that book. And he also writes books for kids, which are super sweet called the way of the warrior kid. And it's about this kid that like learns all these principles from his uncle. And so I'm kind of reading that along with the, with extreme ownership and really loving it. It just feels much more tender and not like not as businessy. Cool. We'll put those in the show notes as well. So the last rapid fire is something that you are grateful for, or that brings you joy right in this moment. The thing that came to mind is I'm drinking good water <laughs> in my in my house, you know, with my my sweet roommate. And even though it's been really weird, I moved to California right before the pandemic started, like maybe six months before. And, you know, most of the people in my community, you know, not everybody lives here. It's like a smaller group of us that moved to California. We, you know, a lot of people still live in Oregon. Some people stayed in Maine before we moved from Maine to California. And no one's required to move. It was just some of us wanted to move with Shambhavi when she moved. At times, it's, you know, it felt like a prison to just be in this place where you can't really engage with the new city. I felt like a lot of the loneliness and squirreliness that I think a lot of people have felt and continue to feel. And there's something about just like staying simple and trying to take care of my health and and push myself to get out of this mode of, oh, I, I don't, I'm not good enough to ever do what I want to do for a living. I'm not smart enough. I don't understand enough about Jyotish. You know, I have so much of these things in my head all the time. 
that being here with you today and like doing this again is something I never thought I'd be able to do. And to just have the opportunity to do this and to like have Steven's blessing and Shambhavi's blessing to do these things. And even though the the situation is so restricted, like staying with what all of all of the good that I have has been when I really sit there and I think about the people in my life and the teachers that I've had and the opportunities I've had and the resources and the food and water that I have access to every day and the tiny personally temperature controlled waterfall that I have in my bathroom, you know, like a shower, like you get into anything during the pandemic. It's like, wait a minute, showers are actually magical. Like they are unbelievably complex technology that people didn't have for millions of years. It's the more that I think about any person or anything that I have during this time that I still appreciate and value. It's like, I I feel that, that sweetness and some, you know, more groundedness and the, the, all the beauty. And, you know, I don't usually say like blessings, but I feel incredibly grateful for the people in my life that I have and the, the circumstances I'm in outside of the madness of the pandemic. Well, I'm grateful for you and for this conversation. It was really fun. Can you tell everybody how they can get a hold of you, where they can find you, how they can set up an appointment? You do appointments, right? Yeah, I do um, astrology appointments and I will eventually go on to put up some of my art. I'm a yantra painter. So my website is sahayasacredarts.com. It's S-A-H-A-Y-A sacredarts.com. And I'm on Instagram at Sahaya's, you know, at Sahaya Sacred Arts. My email um, is on the website, but it's contact at SahayaSacredArts.com. I offer different kinds of appointments on my service page, but the sort of intro one is just a, you know, 60 to 90 minute natal reading about sort of like, you know, who you are as a person, your personality, your family dynamics, how you relate to partners and relationships, how you relate to work and your career, just sort of the cornerstones of life getting like the big picture of some, who someone is. And I also do tutoring for Steven, Steven Heiberger's uh, level one and two students, um, which I'm very, very grateful for that experience because it has taught me so, so much. I might have like a Facebook page in the future, but I'm still, you know, the website just went up a, a month or so ago. And so I'm still kind of working the kinks out and tweaking things. And, you know, I'm an artist, so I'm always going to be like fiddling with little font changes. Yeah. And your website's beautiful. So people should go on and and check out what's there and check out the offerings. Well, thank you so much for for being here. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, this was so, so fun and, and really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season, by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula-Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day, and we will connect soon on a future episode. Thank you.